to play a fucking psychopath in the talented Mr. Ripley and then to play a sniveling piece of shit, like, you know, that's range. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched The Departed. The Departed is the first Martin Scorsese movie I saw. Wow. I saw it in theaters. Okay. I loved it. And so I didn't have the same, I guess, view of Scorsese of like seeing Goodfellas and Casino and, you know, um, Taxi Driver and all these other kind of classics that he had put out before that. And so I wasn't like put off by the fact that he had already used, you know, Gimme Shelter in Goodfellas and then Casino and then this. Um, so I, when I heard this the first time, I was like, I fucking love this song and this. Um, and I, I still love it. Uh, you know, I haven't seen this movie in probably a decade, maybe at this point. I used to watch it in school all the time, like as I was studying for stuff. And watching it again, you know, we talked about how last week in Bruges was kind of one of my favorite movies. Rewatching this. And then I put it on again the next day. Um, this is probably one of my favorite movies. I just think it's like, it's like such a fast, frenetic pace. There's so much going on. It's so interesting. There's so much comedy. The story is so well done. Like the acting is just so over the top, but so great because of it. Um, so just, I love this movie. Alan, finally seeing The Departed. What did you think? Uh, look, I like Scorsese, and and he's an amazing filmmaker. Everyone in this film, I was so surprised how like absolutely star-studded this cast was, uh, and it's an amazing story. Like, not denying it, it's a great, it's a great story. I'm not a fan of that much violence. Look, I understand that's whole that's like Scorsese's whole thing, right? And to a certain degree, I can be fine with it. But God, it is incredibly violent and incredibly tense movie. You have to look at it from the perspective of me knowing a little bit about it, but not much, watching it for my first time. Especially since I know that a majority of the characters in this film die. Very quick, unexpected deaths. And that's basically all I knew about going into the film, right? Um, the the fact that knowing that and the situations that were written for these characters to be in these like most very like tense uh, scenes, I was on edge. Like I was on edge. Like I was so much on edge. I don't feel like I could completely enjoy the movie. I, I was, it was that tense for me at times. I was like, I, I'm going to jump. It's going to be like a jump scare. Like a gun is going to pop off and I'm just going to jolt. And I, it's kind of the same re I got like a feeling like I was watching a horror movie. Cause I was like, something's going to happen. Some shit is going to go down and I'm not going to be ready for it. I think what that's a sign of just really quick to interrupt is just, it's a sign of like a great movie that it can make you care about these characters. Right. Because none of the deaths are like scary. Right. But you know, people are going to die. And so because you're invested in these characters, that's why it's tense. Well, not only is it like 
tense and, and jolting when they die, like as they die. But it's also like, you're angry about it. Like there, was, there are some deaths in this movie that when they happen, the aftermath feeling, you can't help but just be angry about how some of this shit went down, right? And we'll go, you know, point by point, death by death a little later. But I think on my second watch, I could enjoy it a lot more because I knew when things... This is, it's weird, right? Because usually I enjoy a movie when the most, when I have no idea what it's about, what's happening, what to expect. I just take, let the movie take me on a ride. What happens, what happens? I'm just going to enjoy it the way it is. For how violent and tense this film was, I think I enjoyed it better my second time. Knowing where all the things were, knowing everything that was going to happen, I could finally like just relax and watch the film. It's, 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 I don't, it probably has happened to me before in horror movies, but I don't remember it happening to me like this in like a, like an action thriller sort of film. So it was, it was quite an experience. It was interesting. So when this movie came out, I, I learned that it's based on a Hong Kong movie called in, Infernal Affairs, I believe. I was confused because you'd think it would be internal, but it's Infernal Affairs, I believe. And I actually like bought a bootleg copy of that. Like it's, I think it's like a, it was like a trilogy at that point. And like, it was such a bootleg copy that like when I got it, there was like someone had a, like a word document they had typed, like printed out that had instructions on how to use like the Hong Kong symbol, like the symbols to like navigate my way so I could actually play the movie. But so when Scorsese like took on this job, he didn't realize it was a remake. Mm. Um, okay. And so he actually then decided not to watch the original until after he had filmed and completely edited and his had come out, I guess just to not be influenced. Smart. Um, I also never ended up watching that bootleg copy, but I still have it. It's really cool looking. It's in my like childhood room at my dad's house. We need to watch it. We need to both watch it one day. Maybe Saturday. Um, and so watching it this time, and I brought this up to you earlier, first of all, the opening, like the title card of the movie, The Departed, doesn't show up until 18 minutes in. So right. there's like 18 minutes of cold open before that. And second of all, the first 50 to 52 minutes are just this like frenetic, like ADHD inducing, like just back and forth, 30 second scene here, 30 second scene there. It's almost like, entirely set up like it's just so much story is being thrown at you and this is a two and a half hour movie and that first 50 minutes is like breakneck speed yeah let me ask you something you say the first 18 minutes before the title card was was kind of like cold open i would say it's more like uh explanation like backstory on everything but it, it happens so fast you hardly kind of get to enjoy the title card because it has like half an hour more of quick cuts but is the first 50 minutes actually just this entire like backstory of these two kids or is is does the backstory end once the title card is shown but it still is quick cutted the first 18 minutes is just backstory to get you kind of to current day right but then the next 34 minutes is still this like frenetic story of like 
Leonardo DiCaprio working his way up into Frank's good graces and Matt Damon working him way, his way up into the Boston police unit, into SIU. I guess it's the state police. He works for the stateies. So him working his way up to where now like he's fully infiltrated into this organization, right? And like has kind of this lead position. The, the montage of them both graduating or going through the police academy that was that was before the title card, right? Right, absolutely. So okay. the movie starts out with what's supposed to be a younger Jack Nicholson and a kid that is supposed to be Matt Damon, right? Yeah. And I, it's funny to look at this compared to The Irishman because The Irishman in a lot of ways is a lot of setting up a story for the end, but The Irishman is like over three and a half hours. And so instead of these... The Departed is these quick cuts of 50 minutes, whereas The Irishman is like an hour and 45 minutes of elongated scenes setting up like the story. Um, And then also The Irishman just shows Robert De Niro in this like technology that was really hard for me to watch the first time I watched The Irishman. I appreciated it a lot more. I appreciated the movie a lot more the second time. But for Jack, they just decide to hide him in the shadows for most of it, which I think was like, was honestly really cool. Like, I really liked it. And then I like, when I was watching it this time, because I haven't seen it in like close to 10 years, I was like, oh, he just stays in the shadows the whole time. But when he comes out of the shadows and delivers that line about you can be cops or criminals, but when you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? Like, I think that's so much more effective when he just like pops out. And it's also like, we only have to show him young for like half a second. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. I was actually going to make a joke (laughs) at you at the beginning of this thing, like, oh, yeah. Oh, so that, that was Jack Nicholson. <laughs> but, you know, they, they did a good job with, the, with putting him in the shadows. It, it, it created not only, like, hiding the fact that, oh, there's supposed to be, like, an age jump, but, you know, there's not. But also creates this, like, mystery about who he is, who his character is, you know? Right. And then... Before I guess we just jump to sort of present day, I, I did think when Damon graduates like the, the academy and then just walks over to like one of the number one targets of the, like the state police and gets into his car to receive a gift, I was like, that seems kind of silly. Um, yeah, yeah. But the next like I think major point is when Damon walks into um martin sheen's office and mark Wahlberg's there which by the way like mark Wahlberg and alec baldwin are probably like my two favorite characters in this movie because they're the like the major comedy but mark Wahlberg just like being an asshole when you say there's like overacting my first thought is mark Wahlberg. like my first thought is like yeah mark Wahlberg completely overacted in this film but it works and and i love martin sheen is like you look he's an asshole he just we just we've gotten used to it <laughs> you know um yeah, yeah you have to get used to his style unfortunately uh the the scenes leading up to that establishing who matt damon is who leo dicaprio is you know they do a lot more backstory on who matt damon's character is um and you get it doesn't hold back from the audience like matt damon is rising up in the ranks of a police officer, but he's completely in the pocket of this big time mob guy, you know? 
And then the audience is not hidden from the fact that Leo DiCaprio is an undercover cop. We know this, but that's not really the allure. That's not really the mystery of the, uh, of the movie. Right. One thing too, you, you brought up how like he's just in the pocket and in, watching it this time, it just made me think, and I probably thought this before, but if there was ever any inclination to look into Matt Damon, first of all, he's got this huge apartment that overlooks like the state house of Massachusetts, which I love the, like the through line of like, he's looking at it in the beginning and he talks about how he wants to go to law school and then when he's with Vera Farmiga, he talks about like, what if I gave this up and really went to law school and we moved to another state? And then he's like in this apartment looking at this, like it's this goal. And because of when he was like a 10 year old kid, he accidentally met Frank Costello. He's now been put into this life that he can't seem to get out of. Um, but I think the beginning does also it does give you a little bit of DiCaprio's character. It's just very quick. It's Mark Wahlberg does a lot of it by explaining that like, you know, uh, during the weekdays, you're this lace curtain motherfucker that like talks with all your rich friends. And then you start dropping your R's when you go down to Southie on the weekends. And then you kind of see the scene. I love the scene with uh, DiCaprio and his uncle. And he's like, you know, his uncle's like, you have to question everything. And he's like, Oh, you know, you could have asked some questions like, you know, am I an asshole? Is my wife a money-grubbing whore? Did I ever love my sister? Or am I just pretending to now? Like that seems that seems so great to me. Like, I mean, you know, there's there's obviously so much cursing. One thing that I I saw is you know we talked about how much there was in Bruges in in Bruges, and so right. the F word in this is said 238 times, and I did the calculations because in Bruges was 1.18 per minute. Yeah, and this is 1.58 per minute all right I believe and it's, it. it's 45 minutes longer <laughs> there yeah that doesn't surprise me at all um the the plot moves okay you were saying it's you know all these quick cuts but yeah the the imagery moves very fast but the setup for this film kind of moves slow it kind of takes time for this thing to blossom into like, okay, now we're kind of thrown into the action. And a lot of it is like kind of this back and forth uh, through cell phones, computer messages and whatever, whatever. And I don't think we get into the real cat and mouse game until. I think the citizens is when we get into the cat and mouse. I would, no, I would even say Martin Sheen dying. Yeah, a little later on, I think. But uh, so the the beginning after the title sequence, the the real thing they're setting up is this microprocessor thing. Right. So DiCaprio goes to his cousin's house and he talks about he just came from this funeral of Miles Kenefick. And then Miles Kenefick, you find out, is the processor guy mm-hmm. who, who stole these. And I just think like the, the connection to that is really funny. Yeah. And this is also around the same time that you get to meet Detective Ellerby, played by... Uh, Alec Baldwin. I really enjoy the scene when Dignam comes in because, you know, he says he's not going to tell them who their uh, who their who their spies are basically because this place has so many links leaks, 
And Baldwin's like, fuck yourself. And he's like, I'm too tired from fucking your wife. And he's like, how's your mother? She's too tired from fucking my father. <laughs> and then after he leaves LRB, Baldwin's just like, uh, please don't judge him from this meeting. He's actually a really nice guy. <laughs> and everyone laughs, laughs at him. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of setup. It's the microprocessors, which I guess, I mean, it plays a part, but it's not really like the, the main attention of, of the movie. And then really Costello is the main antagonist not the who is he selling it to the chinese yeah right so and i don't know about you but when 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 jack nicholson's meeting with the chinese i fear more i feared more for the chinese safety than costello's uh yeah it felt like you can't really tell there's some guys in the rafters and you can't tell who those guys are with but i've i would feel they're with costello right um because as you kind of find out, and I want to get to that scene more later, because mm-hmm. that's probably one of my favorites from the movie. Um, you kind of feel like Costello and his crew sort of because of Damon have like set this, this, this location up in a way that they're hidden from the cameras. And they're also in a way to protect themselves from the Chinese because the two of the, the Chinese gangbangers have like automatic weapons. Well, one thing you talked about is how the beginning of the movie really sets up Damon. And I think after the title sequence, DiCaprio really gets set up. Because first of all, he starts going around with his cousin selling cocaine. And then he walks, he meets up, meets Mr. French kind of on purpose. He's hanging out at this bar. He fights this dude to uh, who makes fun of him for drinking a cranberry juice. And then Mr. French tells him like, you know, that's not quite a guy you can't hit, but I'm going to say you can't hit him. Right. And then the next scene with DiCaprio is he's in this bakery as these Italian guys are shaking down this, this Pakistani guy, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. And then he purposely gets in a fight with them, beats the shit out of them, breaks his hand. And so then that sort of, all of this was to get noticed by Jack Nicholson, Frank Costello. Obviously. And, but it also sets up that DiCaprio is a little bit, of a crazy person like you know uh martin sheen and mark Wahlberg talk about how like you have a lot of assaults on your record and you're this kid who kind of plays both sides and so you know when he when he finally meets jack nicholson he's got he's got to walk this fine line because he wants to play this really tough asshole who doesn't take shit from anyone so that he can be believable. But at the same time, he sort of has to kiss the ring to get into this organization. And I think DiCaprio does a great job of like playing that and the story is written very well at like getting that point across. Yeah. I, uh, who would you say is the main character in the film? DiCaprio's character or Damon? I, th- I think it's got to be shared. I think it's got to be three, honestly. I think it's got to be DiCaprio, Damon, and Jack Nicholson. Um, I don't think that any one of them takes on like a leading role. Obviously, DiCaprio is sort of your protagonist because he's playing the part that you sort of get invested in. Yeah. What's really interesting is that, and DiCaprio said this like talking about the movie, that you know DiCaprio and Damon their characters are like different sides of the same coin right 
Like if DiCaprio had been approached by Jack Nicholson in the beginning, he could have just as easily been that part. And Damon could have turned out to be a cop who gets assigned into undercover. And they're both just like, they're in this one role, but they're pretending to be in that role because they're really helping out the other role. And I think like what's great is there's several times in the movie where like they sort of do, they take the exact same approaches to things. Like for example, and you were about to bring this up, but DiCaprio at one point tells Dignam, Dignam, you need to put out some misinformation through SIU to see if it gets back to me. And that doesn't really play out. But then Matt Damon's like, hey, let's put out this information about this, you know, I think it was like a job on a boat or something. I don't remember down the river, whatever that, yeah, something on the boat. And I love how, because DiCaprio had already, already had this thought. He's like, Nicholson's acting weird. He's using this new crew. He came out with blood all over himself. Like, I can't tell you any of the details because this has to be a setup. And then that's kind of why they end up not killing DiCaprio because they believe that, you know, that information didn't get through. It would have had to have gotten through. What? Did it though? Because one thing I found really interesting is that he, they gave him that information and like literally 15 seconds goes by. He leaves, he turns the corner at that precise moment. Jack Nicholson calls uh, Damon and he's like, hey, I just gave uh, Williams the or Bill the inf- info about you guys. Has that gone through yet? And Damon's like, no. All right, can't be Will. And then literally five seconds after that, that's when Will, played by Leo, is like, hey, He's a, it just feels like they missed each other by like a few seconds. But then why did he expect that kind of info to be passed along so quick unless he thought maybe he was like wired, you know? Um, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm kind of I'm confused about what you're asking because I think the DiCaprio conversation with Martin Sheen was like, right after he got sent home he calls him on the phone and then i think he like shows up at his house a little bit after that um but but like i said this movie is so hectic to follow all the scenes because there's so many small scenes i guess what i'm saying is that you know it it feels like some information is like missed by some people by like more than just a few seconds, which really puts, you know, people like, you know, the people you're rooting for, uh, Leo in this case, in like really good luck. Like he's come out of like not being caught as an undercover agent by not only talent, but just sheer, you know, uh, possibility and, and luck. And it's just created this, the whole movie has created this great cat and mouse game between Damon, Damon and, and DiCaprio. Uh, <laughs> that, like you said, really intensifies when the whole like citizens envelope is like thrown into the, into the uh, table. I think before that too, we should talk a little bit about the, the other like connection that Damon and DiCaprio have is the shrink uh, played by Vera Farmiga. Yeah. Um, I think I've said her name like, three different ways so far but what's interesting is like 
Damon is dating her, right? And it's like this kind of cookie cutter like relationship where they're in their nice apartment together. But then like sexually, he can't perform with her. Whereas DiCaprio's got this, like he met her in her shrink's office. He asks for drugs. She won't give it to him. Finally, she gives it to him. Then says like, we can't, you know, I can't be your counselor anymore. So then they kind of go out on these secret like meetings. And then you see that they actually like have sex. So it's like Damon has this just like, on paper relationship with her where like they're the perfect couple and like they're going to move in together because that's what you do but then DiCaprio and her have this sort of raw attraction like secretive thing and she's even like when she's out with coffee with him she's like you know yeah I would lie to Damon if he saw us because like that's what I need to do um and so it's, it's just kind of interesting like the just the inverse relationship that they have to everything I when I was watching it through the through the entirety of the movie, I just kind of thought like, what's the point of this? Like, what's the point of having this kind of uh, side story? Uh, and obviously, in the end, it really comes into play, and it's great. But did you feel like the first time you watching this, having this kind of like affair between her and and uh, Leo and it just so happens to be between the two characters that are like playing on opposite sides. Do you find that a little circumstantial? Well, I mean, they're all in this small world though. Cause DiCaprio was set up with her because he's really a cop. Yeah. But did and... you, before the ending kind of came into play, did you feel like, what's the point of this? <sighs> Not like, what's the point of showing Damon and her relationship? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I didn't yeah. know what it was going to lead to. Showing, okay. like, DiCaprio sleeping with her, I just thought this was, like, you know, it was just kind of this, like, connection thing. Like, just showing all these, like, this it's this interconnected story between Damon and DiCaprio. And just, it's, like, the, the flash, the, the movie in the beginning, it's so hectic because you're going back and forth, Damon, DiCaprio, Damon, DiCaprio, and their rise and their, you know, how their, their story's going. So I, I think it's, like, I don't know it's just showing it's showing these two parallel stories except they're not parallel because at a certain at certain points they are going to meet at in the end right they're eventually going to clash and right. collide yeah. and they could clash and collide in several points but they don't do it until the very end because that makes a much more cinematic story of course um so what was your feeling with martin sheen's meeting of dicaprio on the roof once again, you've jumped ahead. Oh my God, I keep forgetting where we are. Where are we? This movie is so hard to follow, I swear. But especially like not having it watched in like, you know, a day and then trying to ex- talk about it. It's like... I mean, I've seen this movie like 10 times and it's hard for me. I think the next thing to talk about is one of my favorite scenes. It's the microprocessor scene, the, the sting. And okay, what's funny too is at this point, so he meets with... Sheen, DiCaprio meets with Sheen and Wahlberg and he says I've been in here for a year so he's been at, kicked out of the academy in jail and then with Costello for a year or maybe he was kicked out of jail and then he's been there for a year so he's been here for a long time and then that's when he finds out that they think there's a spy in SIU um, and this is around the same time when Jack thinks oh maybe i have a spy and so it's like this once again this parallel right then this leads to the microprocessor and i love the stakeout part of it because first damon's brought in completely unaware of what's happening 
and you have probably my favorite scene of Alec Baldwin and my favorite like line from Mark Wahlberg because first they're, all, they're both mad at the guy that set up the cameras and the guy that set up the cameras like I had two fucking hours we think this is NASA and Alec Baldwin's like that thought never crossed my mind um but then when Damon walks in I love that Alec Baldwin is like yeah, sorry, we had to set this up. We just had to tell you last minute. I'm going to go take a smoke break. You want a smoke break? What are you, one of those fucking health freaks? All right, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You know, when you said, you know, at the beginning of this, you said, oh, it has comedy, action, blah, blah, blah. I, I was like, is it funny? Is it that funny? But yeah, you're right. It's like, it has some really funny, it's, it's only funny some instances when it's like circumstantial, right? Like things are set up in a certain way that just work out to be kind of hilarious. Um, well, and then right after that, the the guy that set up the cameras has already had to deal with Baldwin. And then Wahlberg comes in. He's like, who the fuck set up these cameras? And the camera guy's like, well, who the fuck are you? And my favorite line of the whole movie, I'm the guy that does my job. You must be the other guy. I love that line. That was such a great line. Uh, I might use that for, uh, for my work. Uh, <laughs> the... The relationship between no, because I'm jumping ahead again. So what? I'm just going to keep asking you, David. What would you like to talk about next? I, I think also just kind of finishing off the like the comedic aspects of this. Damon realizing that the FBI is tracking his phone, and then Baldwin just screaming, "Patriot Act! Patriot Act!" Okay, um, so I can see you're not going to be any help. You're just going to keep repeating uh, Wahlberg and uh, Baldwin lines. Um, the the next thing that I remember happening in this movie is Vera moves in with Damon is the next important thing. Okay, so I assume that happens before in one of the most intense scenes. I was literally like behind my couch standing up is when Nicholson confronts DiCaprio about there being a rat. He smells a rat. That happens after? Yes. Ah, oh, Jesus. All right. The yeah. psychiatrist and the crooked cop moving together. Go ahead. Oh, and the phone call, right? Because through the glass that's window? The, that's the only important part of it, is because it sort of exemplifies the power dynamic between Frank Costello and Colin Sullivan, which by the way, when he said Colin in this movie, I was like, his fucking name's Colin. Have I ever known that his name's Colin? He mostly calls him like Collie. Or Collie, my boy. You or know? Sullivan. He's called Sullivan a lot by the people he works with, but it just shows like Jack just fucking controls him, right? He says yeah. the most awful things to him. Yep. He talks about like his girlfriend very inappropriately. And like Damon's like a, a scared schoolboy going up to his father, like, well, no, I told you she's she's gonna move in with me, and like, duh, 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 duh. and then Frank just Frank Costello. I keep going back and forth, Jack, Jack Nicholson, and then Frank Costello. But you know, Frank just just like saying, like, hey, you got to do your job, and I have a rat, and you need to find him. And then. Damon, like, all right, well, I need socials, I need names, da da da. da. And Frank, I still like, you're fucking telling me what you need? Like, you're like, well, who, who are you? Um, I think that, like I said, that phone call just perfectly sets up this dynamic, but it also, it kind of shows you, it foreshadows the end that's coming, right? Because at a certain point, Damon's going to like realize, I'm the fucking cop here. I have the actual power. Right. 
I, I, I'm not going to take this shit forever. And like Jack keeps making things worse and worse and keep upping the ante. And I did not see that double cross coming, but it was one of the most like well done double crosses I've seen in a film like to date. It's, and I can't wait until we eventually get to talk about that. But before that, and one of the most intense scenes that I've seen is when Jack Nicholson sits Leo down in front of like, I think Mr. French is like on the side and he's like, it's just, he's drawing this picture. He's like, William, you smell that? I smell a rat. And it's like, I'm sweating. Leo is sweating. Like it's this whole thing. Like, so he's got him, he's caught him, right? Like it's over, right? And I'm just sitting there thinking like, okay, he's, he knows it's Leonardo DiCaprio, but he doesn't, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about that? See. My thoughts are you skipped four and five important things, but I'll answer this now. So the reason he's brought him here is because he brought them all in to fill out information so that it can be taken to Matt Damon and they can, he can run a background check on these guys. Okay, you're right. He fills out no, the no. citizen envelope first. Right. Okay. And also, right before this, DiCaprio has found out that Jack Nicholson is an FBI informant. Yeah, and he's already By that passed... guy that he shot in the kneecap. Right, and he's passed that along to um, Sheen by now, right? And I think what's cool about the scene, one, DiCaprio said it's like the, like the, his favorite scene he's ever been in because it's just like him and Jack Nicholson one-on-one and it's just like this great, intense, like just one-on-one together with, with someone who's like at the top of his game. Um, it, it's, it scared me shitless. I also love like Leo's, Leo gives this big speech like, you accuse me once, I let it go. You accuse me again, I quit. You make me fear for my life and I'll put a bullet in your head. And then at that moment, and I don't know if it was on purpose, I think it was probably just ad-lib, Jack Nicholson just drops the gun and then picks it up and points it at DiCaprio's face. Um, it's like, that part is is so great. And like that whole scene, it's, it's, it's obviously like, one of the scenes like that's in the Oscar reel campaign for, you know, whoever, but it's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It, it is amazing. Now, let me, I did have a problem with the scene though. There was a, there was a weird edit. I don't know if you caught it. Jack Nicholson goes away. He leaves the, the frame. Then Mr. French confronts Leo. And then Jack Nicholson like comes up behind Leo and like, does like the shh sort of vibe. Uh, the thing and he comes back around and he says something and then it cuts back to Mr. French and then Jack Nicholson leaves and without a movement or anything cuts back to Leo and he just has a cigarette in an unlit cigarette in his mouth yeah I mean I wasn't looking for continuity errors it wasn't a continuity it was just the weirdest fucking shit it was like he's just Leo is just there. It's just cut to Mr. French, cut back to Leo. Leo has a cigarette in his mouth. And I was like, it's, that's, it's such a weird cut. This whole movie is, it's why I love it. And it's also like, just, it's like 
got these like weird things in it. The, the thing I, I keep saying, it's like such a frenetic movie and it's so like tonally so odd because you have this very serious scene and you have Jack Nicholson dropping the gun, right? And then you have Jack Nicholson like, okay, fine, you're good. And then like sneaking up back on Leo and like doing a shh to Mr. French and then like grabbing his cigarettes. The other scene that's really weird is the opera scene where he's got his wife on one side and then the, the woman on the other side. And then right after that, he takes the, he throws Coke on the bed and says, you know, don't stop until you're numb. And it's just this like back red lit Jack Nicholson, just staring with the craziest look in his eyes, like at this woman doing Coke on his bed. But not only that, it's just like, um, they're both dressed in red. He has a red curtain behind him. The scene is doused in red light. He, I mean, fr- from what I got out of it, it's just Martin Scorsese trying to make him look like the most devil the devil could ever look. And I almost thought, um, uh, not Gimme Shelter, but the, um, what's that Rolling Stones song? About, for the devil. Sympathy for the devil. Sympathy for the devil. I thought this. I thought sympathy for the devil was going to start playing for a second. <laughs> Maybe it might have been a little too, uh, a little too on the nose. W- one thing we skipped is the golf scene where Ellerby Alec Baldwin uh, places Matt Damon in charge of the investigation of finding the rat in SIU. Right. And I love Ellerby's like, you know, uh, I want to appoint you. You have an immaculate record. Some people don't trust someone with an immaculate record. I do. I have an immaculate record as he's like drinking a beer and golfing like on a Monday or something. And then Alec Baldwin says, Oh, and you also, you have a woman, which is good. Cause it lets people, you know, it lets men know that you're not gay. And then it lets women know that you have some money in your cock works, which I only bring up to say the fucking oddest dialogue in the movie is Damon, which I think is just more developing his character as like this false bravado and this kind of like sniveling piece of shit is like, Oh, it's working. It's working overtime. <laughs> like talking about his penis. I, look, I I asked you earlier who who's the main character, Damon or Leo, and you said the three of them. And I, I just don't buy that. And and uh, the reason that here's the thing, I would love to say Leo, but honestly, I think it's Matt Damon. And the reason is is one, we get more of a more of a behind the scenes like backstory about where his character's coming from and who he is as a as a person and and we follow him just about as much as leo and if not more but then also he's after something the entirety of the movie right he's after either the recognition from jack nicholson being his like you know uh undercover his inside man and then also chasing DiCaprio the entire time. But also him being such an undesirable, like like you said, sniveling creep through the whole thing. And that's the person. It, it's so interesting, this movie, because it sets you up with all the information in the world to want to care for this character. And you can't. You are completely as the audience against this person and you want to see him fail. And I've never watched a movie so much in my life that I've never, like, I've wanted to see the main character fail. 
Right, because as I said, you can see how Damon's stuck in this predicament, and he just wants this normal life with his, you know, his girlfriend. He wants to go back to law school, and he like dreams of maybe like working in the state house as a lawyer, you know. But he's just such an unlikable piece of shit. I love the line after he joined, you know, after he's like the one in charge of uh, finding the rat. And he walks across Mark Wahlberg and he's like, hey, I'm going to need your undercovers. And he's like, blow me. Not literally, though. Unfortunately, there's no promotion in it for you. Yeah, it's like I, I did find it weird that Mark Wahlberg and a couple other people got pissed at him for trying to, like, climb the ranks. And, you know, I mean, in that case, Damon was right. He was like, hey, what, what do you want me to do? Like, people are trying to climb the ranks all the time. I'm just doing what people do, you know? Right. The next scene I really want to talk about, we skipped over it, but it, it does then lead more towards the end, is the porn theater scene. You know, this is after the citizen's envelope. Jack Nicholson is handing it over to Matt Damon in the theater. And I love like Jack Nicholson, like, are you, are you cracking up here? Why would you want to meet me here? And then Matt Damon's like, well, why would you agree to meet me here if it's such a stupid idea? And he's like, well, I own the place. Right. It's my place. Right. Um, but that and scene again, is, the sense of humor in that scene is kind of off the wall crazy again mostly by jack nicholson but it, it it's just more like developing costello as a character right and one thing i really wanted to point out like so obviously the scene after is great dicaprio chasing after him his phone accidentally going off bro you're fucking you're a rat like undercover put it on silent like what are you what are you doing um and then you know uh uh, uh a random dude gets stabbed because he's wearing the same dark clothes as dicaprio but, you know, you talked about how the guy in the very end of this movie, you didn't like realize what he's from and it almost felt a little shoehorned in that, you know, and we'll get to that point. But one thing that I noticed for the first time here is when they're in the theater, Damon's like, hey, I have something to tell you. And Jack goes, what? He goes, you're getting reassigned. And Damon goes, how the fuck did you know that? And they never mention why he knows that. The reason he knows that is because that other guy that helps Damon out at the very end the other fucking rat told Jack, told right. Frank Costello. And I mean, that's just like, this just good writing, right? You just put these little like hints and, and bits and pieces throughout the film that, I mean, did you, is this the first time you're noticing this? Yeah, that's the first time I ever caught that part of it. Yeah, how many times have you seen this movie? Like, yeah, six or seven times. And the thing is, is like, it doesn't hurt the movie in the least if you miss it. But when you do pick it up, you're like, that's, that's genius. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Now, okay, so I, I just, because I think we need to talk about the fact that to find the rat, Nicholson needs to collect the names and socials of all his, his guys and then giving it to Damon to run it through the system would find out who the rat is. One of his goons spells citizens incorrectly which prompts Leo to cross it out and spell it correctly. So it makes it like the most identifiable envelope in any movie ever. And at this point, when he passes off to Damon and they have a literal chase down through the streets. Um, and I love how Damon is trying to identify Leo by like that busted security camera that you, that's like two pixels. Right. Um, and I guess that only eliminates like people of certain heights or certain like body fat girths girths. Yeah. And at that point we know that, and, and Leo DeCap knows that 
whoever has that envelope in their possession is the mole, is the rat within uh, Costello's pocket. Right. And the other thing, too, is Sheen has basically ordered DiCaprio, follow Costello, and then you're going to figure out who his rat is because we know, like, you gave that envelope. And arrest him. Right after that, Sheen gives Damon that exact advice follow Costello and you'll find his rat. And so Damon, and like the disinformation plot line earlier, Damon's like, oh, I'm going to file Martin Sheen, follow Martin Sheen, and I'll figure out who his rat is, which yeah. leads to the scene on the roof, which that scene on the roof and the final scene on the roof are kind of so epic. Just there's just shot with this background. They're just, both of them are so cool. Um, and then the way Sheen just handles his, his death, like, you know, like, oh, I guess it's going to happen. I, it did. It doesn't really make sense why they decided to kill him. But it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's, I thought that too. I was like, but they have so much to lose if they kill him, you know? Right. But it, at the same time, they're under the lead of Frank who, you know, he tells Damon after the fact, like, why'd you kill him? And, and uh, Jack's, Jack Nicholson, Frank Costello is like, you know, it's either me or him. And at this point, Jack Nicholson is just doing whatever he wants and not really thinking of how this affects Damon, which is sort of stupid on his part, right? Because right. you're going to get your rat burned. And like, after Martin Sheen gets thrown off the roof, there's this scene where Damon's just in his dark office by himself and he like, turns something else off and it's just like in the dark like i've really fucked this up as like bad as i can the only the only scene that i've seen from the departed before watching the departed is leonardo dicaprio walking out of that building down the alley as martin sheen falls and goes splat in front of him and that I've, i've seen that that clip out of context so many times that when I saw him walking down the alley, I was like, oh, shit. Like, here it comes. Like, this is it. Because I, I didn't know it was Martin Sheen, and I didn't know when it was in the film. But I was like, this is it. And it was. What's the other thing, too, is I think that scene of the falling is in the trailer. I think it's the slow-mo falling that, that I saw before I even saw the movie. The other cool thing is, and I don't remember what movie he was doing an homage of, but he was doing an homage of a movie where they had these X's that they showed very like plainly in the scene when someone was going to die. And then yes. as, as Martin Sheen is falling, he falls by a bunch of windows that just have X's taped over the whole thing. And it's like something I notice every single time that I just think is cool, you know, because I read the explanation somewhere. Yes. Yeah, so I know exactly what movie you're talking about. I think it's the original Scarface, not the Al Pacino Scarface, but like the original, original Scarface. Right. Where there's like the rafters have the shadows of a bunch of X's. And then it's like, you see that minutes before a shootout. Um, I mean, is it foreshadowing if as he's falling, then you see like the foreshadowed X's. I mean, I think it's just an homage. I don't think it's foreshadowing. I think it's just like, he's like, oh, this is a cool thing. Scorsese loves like old Hollywood and old Hollywood movies. And so he's like, I'm going to put this cool thing in my movie. And I, mean, I, just I, appre- I guess at that point, all you have to do is find a building with X's on the windows, you know? Well, it's just tape. It looked like painter's tape, like across the windows. Oh, I thought it like, was like, um, like the window frames, no? 
what this leads to is, and we were talking earlier about what a piece of shit Damon plays in this movie, which I got to say, to play such a badass as Jason Bourne, to play a fucking psychopath in The Talented Mr. Ripley, and then to play a sniveling piece of shit, like, you know, that's range. But he sounds like such a bitch when he just says, like, I can investigate whoever I want because he's just caused the death of, like, one of the lead guys, like, in yeah. their department. I love how Mark Wahlberg is just, in turn of that, you know, being kind of like the macho dude he is, uh, the bravado, right? Is which, which is funny because Mark Wahlberg has that, like, bravado in this movie that Damon so clearly is trying to copy, right? Like a facsimile, but it's so bad. But he's like, no, 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 let him go. Let me add him. Like, let him go. Let him come to me. Come on. You know, like, I can take him. Like, yeah, of course Mark Wahlberg can take him. Well, the other thing, too, is uh, he's like, I'm going to need the password. And Mark Wahlberg goes, oh, I forgot the password. Meet me in the garage and I'll tell you what it is. And Damon's like, that's a fucking lie. And it's like, no shit, it's a lie. He wants to beat you up. Like, what do you mean it's a lie? So here's a part that I was confused about. Because does Mark Wahlberg get two weeks paid leave or is he like giving his two week notice i think it's severance it's severance that he's quitting you're right yeah i don't think he's coming back this movie leaves a lot of like questions unanswered i'm not sure how important they are but it does just like dignum's out of the picture for the rest of the movie right until the very end and there's Um, like what about 40 minutes left of the film at this point probably and then after Martin Sheen dies, Damon uses the, the phone to call DiCaprio. And they're just sitting on it. It's like so tense. No sound whatsoever. Them both just sitting on it. Yeah. DiCaprio hangs up and then he calls back, right? Mm-hmm. And this is when the plan is kind of formed, you think, in Damon's head. But before we get to that, we do find out. So Delahunt dies in the shootout after killing Martin Sheen. And then he's buried in the marsh. And Jack's like, when I say bury him in the marsh, I mean in the marsh. I thought he was going to blow that dude's head off right then and there. You know, I think um, you jumped ahead just a little bit. And I know we've done this like so many times during this, but I think it gives our viewers or our listeners a very good understanding of how kind of just insane this movie is as a whole, uh, (laughs) if anything. But the... The guy who got shot, who's buried in the mosh. Del Hunt. Del Hunt. He's, um, at that point, he, he knows that DiCaprio is a rat. Yeah, he, has, he, told, he told him the wrong address and DiCaprio showed up at the right place anyway because he was already there. Which in a way could, could be a couple things, right? It could be, it was only like one number off. So he, he, could, he could be just right down the street and that's why he was late, right? And then I mean, it's 314 versus 344. You assume the 334. three is a... 334. Huh? Either way, it doesn't matter. I think it's 344. But that's the three in the beginning is like a, probably a block number. So if these are on the same block, like the body just fell off the roof. Like Right. That's what I was saying. I was like, he could easily cover it up with just be like, hey, I was a couple buildings over. I saw a body fall off the roof. I came to investigate that. Right. And that's why I was late because you told me the wrong address. Like it's easy explanation, but they set it up to be like, oh, this guy knows. 
and then DiCaprio, I guess, is like ready to like fucking shoot this guy in front of everyone in the entire room, but he dies anyways. So well, that was kind of crazy. He dies saying, why didn't I tell anybody? Why didn't I tell anybody? And then he dies. And then on the news, it's reported that he was with like the Boston city police or whatever. And what the movie leaves open is, is that true? Cause then Jack says, Oh, that's misinformation from the news. From so the that cops. I stop looking for the yeah, real rat. Exactly. Which is what but, I thought. But then why does Delahunt say, why didn't I tell anybody? Well, did he even have a chance? Like he's shot, they run to there and he's like coming in and out of consciousness, right? I mean, maybe, but he says, why didn't I tell anybody? Like almost like he had a chance, but I think you can take it as, Hey, tell me, let me tell you why I didn't tell anybody or why didn't I tell anybody? Like I'm questioning it myself. Kind of reminded me of uh, Reservoir Dogs. How so? Oh, like he's sitting there bleeding, you know, uh, bleeding out and even if he if he was like an undercover cop in Reservoir Dogs Mr. Orange is like thinks he's dying so he's going to be telling you know him the, the his confession that he's an undercover cop I'm saying if he pays homage to a, a 1948 Scarface or whatever he could be easily paying homage to Tarantino I could believe that yeah possibly possibly I don't know this all leads to kind of the sign of like the seminal scene, the climactic scene where there's a tail on Jack. Damon has already told Jack, Hey, lay low. You don't need to go to this meeting. And Jack's just like, get rid of the fucking tail. So Damon says, get rid of the tail. And because he knows where they're going, he's like, I know where they're going. We're going to get this fucker tonight. And of course, there's a shootout. DiCaprio is, I guess, wor- is working with Damon. Not, I guess. He is working with Damon. And I love that DiCaprio, like, unloads the vans. He tries to warn Jack, too. He's like, hey, you know, what if they put on another tail and Jack just ignores him? And so DiCaprio, like, puts stuff in the van. He's like, oh, uh, Frank told me to do something in the back. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, bye. All right. And what, maybe you can remind me, what kind of is the breaking point of... Um, Damon? Uh, Damon to be to to turn on on Jack right then and there. It's because Jack keeps doing things that jeopardizes James, Damon's like cover. Okay. Like he keeps having he's like tells Damon to pull off a tail when there's no reason like reason in the world for him to tell that tail to be pulled off. He put a tail on Martin Sheen to find the rat and then Jack's guys kill Martin Sheen when it's like that's the worst thing in the world that could have happened to him. Right. Because if he just follows Martin Sheen, then explains, hey, I thought you might have been the rat. Then it's like, whatever. So it's like it, he's just jeopardizing Damon's freedom. And so Damon at this point is like, it's me or him. What I don't get is after Damon shoots Jack, which Jack even has to die in like a weird way, Jack's phone goes off. Yeah. Damon answers it and he's like, hey, sorry, Gwen. Uh, yeah, he's dead. He's not. He's not, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's like, why did you, it's almost like he's like saying goodbye to that world. And like, I, I don't know, I guess. Well, he, he calls it, him father, right? He calls him father and he kind of scoffs at the fact that he's like, oh, I think of you as a son. He's like, yeah, right, son. But then at the end, he's like, you're like my dad. He calls him dad, I believe. But it, I, I was thinking though, like no one knows who Damon is, like besides Jack. So I doubt 
I doubt Gwen, no, the Gwen wife, knows. knew. Gwen Who? knows. Gw- Gwen knew. How did she know? Gwen knew because she she wasn't uh she knew. I know she knew. Okay. I'm not but I can't tell you exactly the scene, but I know she knew. I think it might be up in the air. And then Fitzy doesn't know. Like, besides Jack, not many people know. Definitely not the other guys in his crew. Mr. French? Is. Mr. French. How does, Mr. French, I guess, is in the car, right? So he yeah. knows. Yeah, exactly. But Fitzy doesn't because uh, Damon does that ploy on him where he pretends to be his lawyer. Right. And has Fitzy warn them. But then also, you, that's like, he has. That was a Fitzy. cool scene where he's like, so he doesn't know what his lawyer looks like? Okay. And he just goes in and pretends to be his lawyer, you know? And he's, one, having Fitzy warn these other guys so they don't get caught. But two, making it look like he's helping out the detective. So it puts him up in the world. And that's his problem with Jack, is if Jack listens to him, he can protect Jack, but also protect himself. And the other thing is he finds out that Jack is an FBI informant. That is... That is yes. also kind of the major breaking point. That is the major breaking point. That just hit me right then and there. Because it's like DiCaprio finds out, passes that to Sheen, and then Sheen and Costello meet up. And that's when... Well, yeah. no. Uh, the way that Damon finds out is he gets Sheen's, all of his materials he had on him. And, and it's, it's written, written in the book as a yeah. note. That's I t- Jack Nicholson as he's dying, like, grow up. Of course I talk to the FBI. <laughs> yeah, but then Damon's biggest concern is he doesn't want the FBI to know that he's a rat within Costello's team. Because at that point, he, he wants to move away from that life, right? He wants to just have a normal kind of straight edge life. So as long as the F- FBI doesn't know and the only person who knows is all dead he's fine and i love it when at the end of the film when they bring dicaprio in and damon has absolutely no reason to suspect that dicaprio knows who he is right and then he's gonna set him all up he asks him what the password is which he's been trying to figure out this entire time and dicaprio's like it's my name william costigan jr it's so that people would believe I'm, you know, I am who I say I am. And I love David's like, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> One thing I thought is, so Damon walks away to go, I don't know, type in some words in a computer somewhere, whatever. And DiCaprio happens to see the envelope, which Damon, so sloppy. But what I think is even sloppier is, and I guess it's just human nature that he runs right there. But if he can hide that envelope back and then stick through it, he'll get his identity back and then he can still fuck over Damon. But I guess you could say that maybe he's still wary of Damon because Damon is this rat. And so that makes sense why he would run because it's just like fight or flight at that point. And also he doesn't better option. Right. Exactly. He doesn't know that Damon wants to move away from that life. Right. So at that point, seeing the envelope, he knows that DiCaprio was the rat within Costello's, you know, team. And then he knows that Damon is the rat within the police academy working for Costello. So one, he's unaware of how deep this whole operation goes. Two, he doesn't know if like, what if Damon wants to take over Costello's thing, right? What if he wants to become a mobster like him? Then 
the first order of business is to get rid of DiCaprio. So yeah, I would have run too. Like I would have, I would have put the envelope better, like back better on his desk, but yeah, I would have run. That's like the most logical sense. And then comes in where it makes sense to me to put Vera in, uh, in the whole movie. Because she opens up a letter. First of all, uh, DiCaprio gives her a letter and is like, if anything happens to me, you know, hold on to this. Which I was always confused where he gave her that letter. I guess you could assume it's the office, but it looked like an apartment building. And so did he give it at her new apartment building where she lives with Matt Damon? So I was confused about that. But anyway, gives her that letter. And then he sends another letter with a recording to Damon but Vera Farmiga opens it and starts playing it. And the way it's done is so beautiful where she's listening to it in headphones and then Damon walks out and she just unplugs it for him to hear. Yep. It, the one thing I will say is I could see where he could get out of it by lying and saying, this is part of what my job is. I'm lying to this one guy. Like, I mean, I guess she probably knows if he's that famous of a mobster in the city, she maybe knows who that is. And so she knows that that's all bullshit. And the first thing she hears is, Hey, I'm pretty good at lying. You know that. Yeah. Um, well, I'm also, I mean, if she's the state police troops psychiatrist, then maybe she's heard stories about this guy from other people, you know? Right. And then that leads to the meeting on the roof, which I, um, I also don't know that I would have done it that way either. Just give over the recordings. Yep. That, I mean, that's like, that was the thing I was telling you earlier, like I had a problem with, but I I will say, except for the other rat, this would have all worked out for him anyway. And maybe it was like symbolically he wanted to take him in because this guy killed Queenan. And so it's like, what he wanted to do and like he thought it was like a matter of honor but it's just like so much so many better ways you could have done it well maybe it's a matter of honor but also i think he was banking on not Anthony being anderson well no not even that but i was i think he was banking on the fact that he was not erased like his file wasn't erased from the database so there was proof that he he's you know somewhere in there undercover he's a cop so it's okay um but but then he probably also wasn't expecting the guy I don't think anyone watching this movie for the first time was expecting. Even Matt Damon was not expecting this miracle of a man to come in and save his ass. But he was always there. He was honestly, he, did he appear in the movie before DiCaprio? He might have. Honestly, I think he did. He was in the scene where they were, uh, um, they were playing rugby. Oh, then yeah. Yeah. Because um, that, that, that was still in the police academy days, right? Right. That scene is so crazy, too. Because, first of all, DiCaprio like, lets him know that Costigan or that um, Jack Nicholson trusted him more than he trusted Damon. Yep. And then Damon this whole time is just like spitting this vitriol, like, you're fucking done. Like, you're going to take me in what? I'm a cop. You're nothing. I erased your file. And then they're like, get on the elevator. And I just love like DiCaprio so deadpan the whole time. Like you can keep talking. Like you're the one who's fucked here. And then when they get on the elevator, Damon's like, just shoot me. That <laughs> just starts crying. Like, just, just fucking shoot me. Um, and then you just get like, boom, boom, boom. 
boom, 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 like death after death after death. And like, I, I kind of at least respect Damon in the fact that like, he was like, I got to take this other guy out. Too. I can't have this loose end of this dude. Like, yeah, he just saved my ass, but like it, I'm all out for me. So he shoots this guy using Leo's gun, right? He cleans it off to make it look like they're in this standoff that they just all kill each other. And he just gets away scot-free. Like, there's no evidence that he was there. It's just this weird, well, like... No, he, was, he was there. He says that... Oh, that's DiCaprio, right. He was there. He says DiCaprio saved him. And I actually thought it was, it was kind of a nice gesture to, like, I still want to uh, recommend DiCaprio for, the, like, the Medal of Merit or whatever, like, posthumously. Um, well, you could easily do that, right? Because the guy who was also in Costello's pocket killed both of them. So it would have been his gun. Right. And then all you got to do is like, oh, Leo fired at the same time, you know? So <laughs> similar to Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Let's see. That's the, what scene I'm Damon, the scene Damon imagined in his head was Reservoir Dogs, exactly. where one guy took out two while he was shot by one. Yeah. I told you. It's an homage. It's a secret homage to Quentin Tarantino. Um, Did you, th- who do you think is the father of Vera Farmiga's baby? See, I love that. I love how open-ended that is. And I also love the fact that maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe she's going to just keep on believing that it's DiCaprio. Because, like, why would you keep on believing that it's from a piece of shit like Matt Damon? Well, also, I mean, so he is playing impotent. Like, Damon says that that's, like, what he's playing in the character. And he's doing it to kind of juxtapose himself from Jack Nicholson. And so I always, when I watch this movie took it as that's DiCaprio's baby. I took it too, yeah. And then this is the first time watching it. I was like, well, I guess it could be either. But maybe I was just hopeful. But I do love that she just walks pack, past him so coldly as he asks about the baby. And she's just like, nah, you don't, you're not getting any of nothing. that. Nothing, just nothing. Um, that leads to the funeral, right? That's during well, that's Leo's, the funeral. right? So that's during Leo's funeral. And then he's given the medal of merit, which is like the highest honor. I love DiCaprio when he's like, he's like going to get the Mer- medal of merit. Uh, you know, Damon informs him of that. He's like, okay, what like what, whatever. He's like, it's our highest honor. He's like, cool. Like, like does that mean does that mean something around here? He just wants to get paid and he wants to get his life back. He doesn't care about a stupid medal. He gets it anyways in, in his death and 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 everything like that. And then Damon is looking at Vera. Vera's looking at Damon. It's this like she's crying. Kind of must have struck him, right? Because it kind of like, why is this why is she here, first of all? Second of all, why is she getting so emotional? He must know by now, like. I don't know how you could draw that conclusion, but it's so obvious because she's getting so emotional about his death. We'd have to be getting confused. And and to bring it back to uh, DiCaprio says like, I just want my money and one out, which is lines up with in the beginning, you know, Martin Sheen says you can be a lot of things five years from now, but you're not going to be a cop. Basically like you're going to do this undercover work and I know you're not going to you know want to do this. And they talk about like how smart he is. So it is like after the end of all this undercover work where he's had to like be a part of these brutal murders and had to like shoot people himself that he's just like, I need to get out of this. And well, it's, also, it's, sim- it's similar Damon's, to Damon, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there's another parallel, right? It's how they kind of both want to get out of the, the life that they've been, that they've been dealt. And it's so cool, right? How 
Damon comes from this like seedy upbringing, but he's like this this revered cop, cop. and then how DiCaprio comes from this um, like mobster upbringing, but he's actually like a good guy. Well, he's he's half mobster, half like rich person, and then in the end too, like DiCaprio gets a hero's funeral. He's going to be remembered very fondly. His you know his child is going to live on. Uh, hopefully it's his child. And then you have Damon who he like walks in to go to his apartment, tries to pet this dog and this old lady like pulls it away from him, which is just like, no one likes this guy. Like that's, you know, no one wants to be around him. And then he goes in. I think that's like the most satisfying conclusion of Mark Wahlberg just standing there. Yeah. And you know, when that happened, I was like, oh, okay. I've, I've either heard or seen this scene completely out of context, not even knowing it's the departed, uh, and it reminded me of, have you ever seen Burn After Reading? <laughs> I have. So do you know that scene I'm talking about in Burn After Reading? Uh, which one? With Brad Pitt. Yeah, honestly, so I think this is a movie that I was telling, so I went with uh, my friend Zach and we saw it in theaters and we both hated it. And mostly because Brad Pitt is the best part of it. And then he very unceremoniously leaves pretty quickly. And I, I was telling him like a month or two ago, like I really kind of want to watch that movie again. Cause it's, it's a Coen brothers movie. And like, I think it has a pretty good like reputation among people that watch movies. So I was like, I, I really need to give it another shot. And, you know, this was after watching no country for old men a second time and really realizing like how stupid I was the first time to like, I hated it mostly because of the story and like the, the way the story ends. But, um, yeah, I have a very mixed feelings about Burn After Reading. That's how I feel with uh, Men Who Stare at Goats. Uh, I love Men Who Stare at Goats. See, I hate that fucking movie. <laughs> um, Did you also notice at the end of this, to get back to it, the rat on the, on the like little bar, and it's yep. like got the gold dome in the back, and that's what uh, Jack Nicholson was drawing. He was drawing the gold dome, dome and all the rats just kind of going up it. Oh, I didn't notice that. No, I didn't know it was, that's what he was drawing. But, but back to, back to that though. So on the rooftop, when, when Leo kind of sets this trap for Damon, he's like, he calls Anthony Anderson, but he also calls, you know, he tells him to bring Dingham. He tells him to bring Mark Wahlberg and he doesn't because he's just out of that life. Now he's out of the business. And I guess obviously he would be the only person to know all this information. But then it kind of leads you to believe that did Vera with that envelope that DiCaprio gave her also like open it, see the uh, evidence and then give it to the police? Oh, I think that I would, I would have always, I always assumed that the envelope said to find Dignam, to find Mark Wahlberg, give him this information. You don't know. So he's, you don't know when he received the information from Costello's lawyer right? with all the recordings. But my thought was that maybe part the recordings were in that envelope as well. And then it was told, give that to Dignam because I've been killed. And now I, I want him to, uh, which is really funny because Mark Wahlberg and DiCaprio have such an antagonistic relationship, but you can see there's like this mutual respect between them. And in the end, that's obviously like, Dignam is the person he goes to because he's the one who can handle this. Before we end this, 
Would you like to know who was originally cast for each of these parts? Yes. So I think DiCaprio was always going to be William Costigan. Okay. The role of Queenan was offered to Robert De Niro. And he had to turn it down to uh, do The Good Shepherd. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is also funny because DiCaprio had to turn down The Good Shepherd, which Matt Damon eventually took that role. Which, so Damon was able to do both somehow. I don't know. Uh, Colin Sullivan was originally played by Brad Pitt. Okay. And he had to drop out. For what? I don't remember. Okay. Dignum was originally offered to Ray Liotta. See, I could not imagine that Marky Mark was Scorsese's first choice for this. It appears that no one was his first choice for any of this. Except to Cap, right? Except DiCaprio, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mel Gibson was offered Alec Baldwin's role as LRB. See, I can totally see Ray Liotta and Mel Gibson having that kind of like Baldwin and, and Wahlberg chemistry, you know? I'm happy the way it turned out. I think. No, I, me too. Me too. Yeah. And then Costello was originally offered to Al Pacino. See, I could see that working too. I could also see De Niro doing Costello pretty well. Yeah, I, I think Jack Nicholson completely changes this movie. One, I guess when he was brought on, the role got so much bigger. Um, but two, it's just so much weirder. There's just such these fucking just crazy parts that I think he pulls off better. De Niro's more, especially like in the last 20 years, he's just more of a plays a straight character that doesn't have like you know he doesn't have these like weird idiosyncrasies like taxi driver right. whereas jack nicholson just plays a fucking crazy man and i think that's what takes this movie to the next level for me which is why i say that he's one you know i don't have a main character and he's one of the three for me the thing that blew my mind for this film overall and i think you know i've, I've heard this film comes with this notoriety of star-studded cast but then of course like when you go to a movie and you see brad pitt you're pretty comfortable thinking oh brad pitt is not gonna die in this film right you're you're just pretty comfortable with thinking like i don't know what about the assassination of jesse james no listen 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 i'm just saying you come into the theater with kind of a, a comfortable feeling with the biggest stars are safe from death in, in, in film. And I love how every single person dies almost in a like a notoriety order, right? Jack Nicholson, who's probably the biggest star on there at the time, dies first. Leonardo DiCaprio dies second. And then Matt Damon dies. Oh, no, Anthony Anderson third. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then Matt Damon. Then Matt Damon. Right? No, but I mean, like, out of, like, main characters, the, you know, Martin Sheen dies. Boom. Right away. Just people you don't expect to, like, normally, you know, perish in movies, they're, they're gone. And the way it happens is just so quick and brutal and bam, bam, bam. And who's left? Who's left but Mark Wahlberg, which is who at the time was probably, like, the least well-known 
or like you know the least uh i mean of those four yes but that's only just because of who the other three are maybe well but that's my point right so i just love how mark Wahlberg is like the one left standing and i was like all right cool good for him like the most you're not a fucking cop well guys now that my eardrum is blown to bits and we've finished another episode of i finally watched this is david i'm alan and i finally watched the departed